Hello, this is Lindsay. Hi. Hi, I am so excited. This is Jenna, everybody. Jenna is someone who is very near to my heart. Jenna and I have known, is it been two years? Yeah. Gosh. My littlest just turned two. So yeah, I think so. Big milestone. Congratulations. Thanks. (laughs) Um, So Jenna and I met uh, through PPSM. I was doing peer mentoring and I had the privilege of taking a peer request call uh, from Jenna and we've been staying connected and the roles reversed at one point <laughs> in your recovery, you were helping me get through wildness of taking boards and applying for nursing jobs and mm-hmm. all the things. And so Jenna has, uh, yeah, is a very special friend. I am so excited to have you on the podcast. Oh, thank you. You are so special to me, Lindsay. You're, you're, I'm so thankful to have you in my life. Yeah pretty cool. So um, outside of Jenna, just being a phenomenal human and amazing mother and uh, (laughs) a champion in so many different areas, Jenna is also a occupational therapist in uh, the NICU, working with the NICU population. And so I was really excited when Jenna agreed to being on this podcast to share a little bit about her own postpartum journey and how she takes that journey and applies it to her practice as an occupational therapist. So thank you. Thank you for being here. Um, Right out of of the gate, can you share, some people might not know, what is an occupational therapist and how does that relate in the NICU population? So working with, yeah, neonatal intensive care. Yeah. I get that question all the time. Um, My role in the NICU is to do everything I can to keep babies on track with their development. And a huge part of that, which I think relates to the conversation we're going to have, is incorporating the family, helping them bond with the baby under these conditions that they never, the parents never anticipated, and just supporting the whole family unit to do the best job that they can, both in the NICU and setting them up for success after they leave the NICU. So it ends up looking like a lot of different things. There's all different types of babies in the NICU. They're not all preemies. There's babies with, you know, respiratory issues, cardiac defects, genetic um, abnormalities, all kinds of different things, all different ages. And I do, you know, interventions and exercises with those babies. And like I said, really supporting the parents to become the expert in their baby's care and be an amazing advocate for their baby so that they can be successful long-term. That's awesome. That's such a wonderful, a wonderful role. And one that I didn't know much about until I met you actually. Yeah. So Jenna, can you just share why do babies in the NICU need therapy? Yeah. So there's all different types of reasons. Babies who are born pretty early are born to an environment in the NICU that is much different than when they were in the womb. When babies, um, you know, are in the womb, they're in this anti-gravity environment, moving and kicking around. They're in this tucked up flex position. And then when they're born, you know, the environment, we try to do our best to mimic the womb, but it's a lot different. You know, they have gravity. So really little babies are, say, say for example, a 23-weeker we referred to it as would have a hard time moving against gravity because they're so little. And then, and then they, you know, when they're in the womb, they have that uterine wall to push up against. And there's research saying that can 
increase things like their bone density and make them stronger. So for example, with preemies, we do everything we can to mimic what the womb was like. We do exercises with their arms and legs to help them get a little stronger. We support their posture a lot. We use different positioning equipment in and around them to mimic that nice tucked up flex position, but also leave them in a place where they can still kick around a little bit. Uh, there's postural positions that can help support babies when they have different things going on, like helping them breathe, helping them get gas and stool out, helping them sleep. There's certain positions we put babies in if um, they have to undergo something. So with a lot of babies who are pretty sick, I'm working really closely with the nurses to do everything I can to minimize any stress. I talk to parents about how their, you know, their job along the way and my job, because I have an amazing job, is to provide the baby with as much loving and positive touch as possible to kind of counteract any of that. We call it procedural touch that is like kind of completely necessary, but may not be the best touch for the babies in the world. And so we do everything we can to kind of counteract that, especially at a time when their brains are so rapidly developing. And then Lindsay, there are so many other types of babies outside of um, the preemie population in the NICU there are babies who, uh, you know, stay in the NICU for just a couple of days. And there are babies who have been in the NICU for over a year. Yeah. And you can just imagine how many needs they have never having been out of the hospital. So again, doing everything I can to keep them on track with their development, uh, getting them stronger, um, supporting the family unit and meeting, you know, unexpected milestones in the NICU that they didn't anticipate they were going to be in the NICU yeah. for. Uh, I do a lot with you know, uh, working with babies on bottle feeding, which can be a really, it's a really complicated task, oral feeding, especially if they have uh, a couple different things going on, um, bringing them to the NICU. So working really closely with them to progress their feeding plan, because a lot of babies, you know, they have trouble eating and they need to be able to eat enough to grow to be able to get out of the NICU. So that's a big portion of my work as well. So I'm rambling, but there's a million amazing, amazing things I do in the NICU. I wouldn't have enough time to go into all of them. There's so many different, like, I get to put on so many different hats, which I really enjoy about the setting that I work in. Yeah. And, you know, one of the things that I think is, is amazing with the work that you do is how you involve the whole family. And, uh, mm -hmm. you know, you alluded to, uh, you shared a little bit about the unexpected milestones. I'm curious, how do you incorporate families into some of the therapies that you maybe do uh, with those milestones, like whether that's skin to skin yeah. or what are some of the things that you do with parents? Yeah. So I always think about like, I, you know, know a lot about babies and their development and the interventions I do, I think can be so helpful. Part of the reason I like working in the NICU is I can like see instantaneous results in some of the things that I do, like it's so effective. But if you think about it, you know, at most, I'm probably only seeing a baby once a day uh, for, I don't know, anywhere from 15 minutes to an hour. And like, think about how big of an effect the therapy can have if I'm involving the parents and teaching them to do it too. So first of all, I, I incorporate them for that reason. I think the baby can make a lot more progress if they are involved. And then secondly, you think about these families who are going through so much, they oftentimes, you know, in the beginning, do not know what they're allowed to or can do with their baby. 
And I'm thinking, you know, really long term, like, what can I do with this family to make them comfortable with their baby, comfortable doing exercises with their baby, comfortable doing um, kind of the everyday things that they were hoping to do with their baby. So in terms of milestones, I, I joke, there's like so many more milestones that we add in in the NICU other than the milestones that already exist. And we, of course, try to honor those as well. But I have families, you know, that celebrate and take pictures when their baby hits five pounds, when they hold their baby for the first time, when they kangaroo their baby for the first time, um, a first bottle feeding, a first breastfeeding. We have older babies, you know, the first time the baby gets in a high chair or tries baby food. There's, I mean, there's a million different ways we try to celebrate little small wins in the NICU because, you know, again, in the long term, if we can get these families to bond with their baby and become amazing advocates for their baby, you know, there's research saying that those babies will do better and that family unit will do better long term. And a lot of these babies are, you know, have chronic issues and they're going to, you know, have a long road ahead of them outside of the NICU. Like, what can we do to set these families up for success long term? So lots of milestones, lots of really happy, you know, there's a ton of, you know, not happy times in the NICU, of course, and a lot of parents going through so much and babies, but there's a lot of really happy, unexpected times. I have cried with parents, cried tears of joy and sadness and taken a million pictures with them. And I keep in touch with some of them long-term years later because uh, I, yeah, I just have such a cool job. I get to be there for some of those some of those milestones and moments in life that they'll remember forever. So it's such an honor. That's wonderful. Yeah. And, and I imagine your own experience being a parent and being a part of a family structure and raising children has influenced what it's like mm-hmm. to be an OT in that environment, working with families. I, I was hoping that you could share a little bit about your, your postpartum journey with your, with your mm-hmm. third and what that was like, and maybe then a little bit about what that transition back into work was like, if, if you're open to sharing. Yeah, of course. So I described myself as someone who had anxiety for a long time before I had um, my postpartum uh, difficulties. Um, after I had my third kiddo, I everything went fine. We were both healthy. I was so thankful. And, um, you know, part of working in the NICU is almost, and you can probably relate to this, Lindsay, it's almost like you think something's going to go wrong because you're surrounded by, uh, you're surrounded by a population where you see, you know, so many things happen. And so I think I had that in the back of my mind, but everything went wonderfully. And I just noticed over my 12 week maternity leave, I started getting more and more anxious as the maternity leave progressed. And as I got closer to going back to work, and when I ended up going back to work, um, so leading, leading up to going back to work, I was getting less and less sleep. Whenever I'm anxious, I don't sleep well. And then when you don't sleep well, you get more anxious. So I, I I got in this really bad cycle and it just kind of spun out of control. It felt like, and then when I went back to work, I just couldn't do it. And I, I was having trouble eating. I was having trouble sleeping. I was trying to get on medications. I was just really, really unwell. I was having trouble doing just the basic 
taking care of myself things, having trouble taking care of my family. Um, and it, it got really bad. And so I actually went on a medical leave from work for an additional six weeks. And I'm someone who's bottled everything up probably my whole life, especially when I'm going through hard things. I never talked to anybody about it. I just tried to fight it and hide it with my anxiety. And, you know, I, I kind of felt like for me, I hit my version of a rock bottom and, uh, thank goodness I had the courage and determination to reach out to postpartum support Minnesota, because that was really the turning point in terms of, I, I forced myself. I said, you know, I have to get help. I have to talk about this. It's obvious what I'm doing obviously isn't working. I'm, I'm not okay. And I have to do it for my kids and my family. So I did a couple different things and that's where Lindsay comes into my life. <laughs> um, I reached out to postpartum support Minnesota and you can actually get a peer support person. That's what it's called. Right, Lindsay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it was the most wonderful experience because as someone who isn't used to talking about what I'm going through, isn't used to reaching out. I, I, I reached out and, you know, the very next day, I think Lindsay texted me and it was just a really non-intimidating entry point into sharing my story and talking to others and getting help. And I, I just really appreciated that. Like it, it felt hard to do, make these really big leaps of, you know, even talking to my family and talking to my job. So that was a good way to tiptoe into getting help. And I think Lindsay, oh my gosh, you're amazing. I think I texted with her and then we ended up doing phone calls and meeting in person and whatnot. But I think we texted every day. I look back for months and then like months and months every day. And you just help me. You have so many good strategies, but just, I think for other people listening, I think a huge thing for me was just talking to someone who gets it. Like the peer support people at postpartum support Minnesota are people who have been through something similar and they get it. You know, even if it's someone just listening to what you're going through, because before I had postpartum anxiety and depression, like I didn't know the half of it. I remember Lindsay, you told me like, um, you know, it can start at any time and it can last a really long time. And I'm like, okay, how long is this not like a two week situation? Like we need to get this ball rolling here. Yeah. And it ended up, you know, being quite the, quite the long journey for me. Um, I also reached out and attended postpartum support Minnesota's support group and at the time, I think it's still the same. It was on Thursdays at seven. So that's like such an amazing resource to look out to. And I know I talked to you about this, Lindsay, at the time, but I was so terrified to do it. I was like, I am, I never pictured myself going to a support group. That sounds like literally the scariest thing I've ever heard of, but I forced myself to do it. You know, I think the first session, I didn't talk at all. The second session, every time I talked, I cried the whole time. I think there wasn't a session I attended that I didn't cry for a long time because I just wasn't used to talking about it. And it ended up being one of the best things I ever did. Like it was basically, sorry, I'm, I'm like going into a lot of detail, but no, it was beautiful. basically like a group of women, of moms at all different stages who were going through really hard things with their mental health. And, and we just talked, it was like, it wasn't even ever always giving constructive ideas. It was like listening, like, and I got to the point where I like built these amazing connections and I look forward to it. And I was like, Oh my gosh, you know, how is this other mom doing? How did it go this week with bedtime? Like, and it was just the most amazing thing. And I still keep in touch with a lot of those 
um, fellow moms who, you know, had some postpartum issues today. And I, I can't recommend, I can't recommend it enough. So I think, um, I'm in a much better place today. I did end up going back to work. I know Lindsay remembered, like I, I was in a place I didn't know how I, how to get out of it. If I go back to work and what to do. And I'm so glad I just like fought every day to get out of that dark hole. And I did get back to work and I am doing much better. I mean, I still have anxiety. It's not like it's for me, it doesn't feel like it's ever going to be something I don't worry about, but I feel like I'm for sure, like living my life to the fullest with that anxiety. Um, so I'm just thankful for so many different, like, I'm thankful that I had the courage to take all those little steps. And I hope other people who hear this or hear your amazing podcast, Lindsay, or who reach out to postpartum support Minnesota, think like are brave enough to take that first step because it can make such a difference. Yeah. Uh, Oh gosh. It's so hard. It's so hard to it's scary. It's the first, yeah. The first step is just really challenging. And we see that in other places in life. Gosh. I mean, even kids learning how to walk like that first step is like, Whoa, what is my body doing? Like there's a lot. The first is just hard, you know? And one of the things that I think is so powerful about your story, uh, gosh, I mean, my story, uh, with postpartum OCD and postpartum anxiety is yeah, sometimes it doesn't go away completely, but what you gain from it is this insight into yourself, this insight into your own strength, your ability to do self-care. And I feel like I now have this superpower where I once thought that my anxiety and depression was something that brought me down. It was something, it was a burden that I put on other people that was an ailment, if you will. And now I see that it's, it's part of me. It's an actually a net neutral. It's mm-hmm. how I perceive it, how I view myself. That's the negativity. Um, but really I've got this incredible barometer that I don't enjoy. Like I don't love my anxiety, mm-hmm. but I have this, this inner clock that tells me something's not right. You need to do X, Y, and Z. Mm-hmm. You need to get more sleep. You need to eat better. You need to exercise. You need to do these different things that are mm-hmm. part of my self-care. And I have this this tool now, which is ultimately some of the things that I'm able to recognize are anxiety creeping back in. And mm-hmm. I don't feel like you get that until you get recovery and you certainly don't get I, recovery without help. So mm-hmm. I totally agree with all that. Now I feel like I'm really in a place, Lindsay, where I, I think this happened and happened for a reason. And I think there's a lot of silver linings to it. It was miserable. So many parts of it were completely miserable, but I'm a different person now. And I feel like I was forced to look at my life and figure out how to work it a little differently. And I'm so thankful for that because I'm a different person today than I was two years ago. And I have deepened so many, I know we've talked about this. I've deepened so many relationships in my life. I've made so many changes for the better. I've advocated for myself and learned how to say no, all things that if, you know, if my postpartum experience didn't happen to me, I don't know if I'd be at this place today. Yeah. Yeah. And I think about the care that you're able to provide for families. It's not just about the milestones of baby, but understanding how disruptions affect the whole unit. And mm-hmm. so I imagine there's a greater understanding about the challenges that some of the families, not just the babies, but the families are, are going yeah. through. 
Um, yeah, I definitely, yeah, I definitely feel like this experience that I've had in my life has changed me and made me a better therapist in the NICU for it. I, you know, work really closely with families. Part of the reason I love the NICU so much is, um, you know, it's, it's like a complicated puzzle to solve and families that can be there for a very long time. So I get to know a lot of them really well. And I think one thing that has changed how I practice is the fact that I know how it feels to not talk about when things are hard because I went through that. And I, I have a lot more of those moments with families and parents where I try to be gentle, but I also just ask them, you know, straight up, how are you, how are you doing? Yeah. What are you, what are you nervous? What are you most nervous about with your baby right now and positioning and handling them or picking them up? And like, can we work on that together? Like, I have a feeling you're nervous. I don't want to make assumptions, but tell me what's going on because I I'm here. I'm with you. I'm right alongside of you. Like, let's do it together. Let's figure it out. And I think just that little moment of connection that I make with parents, I think can really empower them. And like, I think, you know, the NICU is a scary place, like a family. And I know, you know, this as a nurse, Lindsay, a family might be scared to pick up their baby or to stay, I don't know, in, in your case, stand up after a C-section and whatnot. And, <laughs> and hospitals are a really intimidating place. And I think a lot of times they're scared to ask or say, scared to say something. And so I think just reaching out and addressing it and looking them in the eyes and saying like, I have time, I'm here. Like what is going to make you more comfortable um, doing X, Y, Z with your baby? And I think I always did that, but I think I've like taken it to a deeper level and been more intentional about it. I also just, you know, work closely with families to do the interventions that help them bond with their baby in this very crazy environment. You know, there's a lot of families that have to go back to work because they need to save their days off of work for when their baby comes home. So I try to teach them out, teach them amazing things that they can do their baby when they can be present. So like one of those interventions is infant massage. There's a ton of research behind infant massage, including that helps parents bond with their baby, helps babies actually gain weight, reach oral feeds sooner, helps them stretch out and have better posture, which can help with so many things. So I can give parents those really tangible things that they can do with their baby so that they felt like um, more comfortable and like they're making a difference because they certainly are. Yeah. Oh, I love that. And I think the work that you do is about so much more than just doing a therapy, but really advocating and empowering whole family units to be a part of that Yes, and to know, to know that they're not alone. And just, I mean, you said something that I think is so important, but that idea of being intentional with your time, you know, Mm -hmm. your time, you might only be with somebody for 15 minutes, but letting them know that you're there and being fully present, it goes such a long way. So I think that's, yeah. that's wonderful. I'm, I'm so happy uh, that yeah. you're in and the it's role so funny that you to, are. I know me too. It's so funny to think about, cause when you're a new grad, like that's not the level I was at at all. It was mm-hmm. all about like these interventions that I learned in school. Um, and now you're right. I'm at such a different place and you evolve as a therapist over time another thing you know with these NICU parents who are so often overwhelmed stretched thin aren't sleeping enough 
is I really, I, I also, you know, teach a little less in my sessions and, you know, say, what are the three things I want them to walk out of here with today? Like, or what is, what is the one thing I want them to walk out of here? Because I think, you know, in my postpartum journey, I was not taking in new information. Well, I was overwhelmed. I imagine it's the same for a lot of NICU parents. And so, you know, what is that one thing that can help them today instead of maybe when I was a new grad, okay, here's 15 things I'm going to teach you today. I'm going to be an overachiever and it's going to be great. Um, I don't, I don't always think it depends on the, you know, the family, of course, but that might not be the most effective way of going about it. Right. Yeah. Oh, that's such a great point. And I think that also speaks to a lot of the things that we do with our own recovery and with postpartum mood disorders is what is the one thing that you're going to do today? And not mm-hmm. all of the things that you have to do for recovery, because gosh, that is overwhelming. And it can't be done in one day, can't be done in one therapy session or whatever it might be, but just having that idea of what is one thing that I'm going to accomplish today, that's manageable. Mm-hmm. And that is a mm-hmm. part of a small step, which is ultimately how we go so far, right. It's just by taking one mm-hmm. little step at a time. Uh, it sounds yeah. cliche sometimes, but it really is true, right? It's just, yeah, those little milestones ultimately are a huge transformation when you add them all together. Yeah, you're right. Um, I, I don't know how many people who are listening to this podcast are parents that have babies in the NICU or they are, they did have parent um, babies in the NICU, but I am, I am guessing that a lot of people that are listening know someone who has their baby in the NICU. And so I'm curious if you can share some advice or tips or whatever it might be to the listeners on how to support families who are going through these long stays in the NICU, like what can they do? How can they be a good community member to uh, those in their life that are on this kind of journey? Yeah, that's a great question. Just from my experience in working so closely with families, I see that, you know, a lot of these families are overwhelmed and they have to kind of exercise boundaries. You know, they don't have the mental capacity to be updating 10 different people or returning all of their texts. And I see that at the crib side a lot of the time. And so I think, you know, being patient with them, of course, not asking a lot of them, but also reaching out to them with no expectations you know, letting them know that you're there for them, not, um, you know, expecting something from them, like updates, just letting them know you're there. And then I think another really important thing to do is to support these families after their NICU stay. I think, I think there's a misconception that, you know, after a baby leaves the NICU, that everything is perfectly fine. And, that's not always the case. First of all, I think there's a lot, a lot, a lot of trauma for parents in the NICU um, from anywhere from their birth experience to all of the challenges and hurdles that they went through in the NICU. And so I think they process that I'm imagining for a long time to come after they leave in the NICU and after they exit that kind of like survival mode phase. And I think that there's a lot of really complex babies who discharge home and they have a still have a long road ahead of them in terms of 
follow-up appointments and their compromised immune system and getting sick during cold and flu season and different medications and therapies and all kinds of things. So I think it would be really beneficial to support these families in the long term after, you know, after the dust is settled and there's not exciting updates on their, um, you know, website every couple of weeks. I think when they are at home with their baby doing the day-to-day um, routines where they might, you know, need those support from those those close family members and friends to be there for them. Yeah. That's really great advice. And I think that's so similar to the advice for someone who's going through their own postpartum mood disorder, right. Is Mm -hmm. being present without expectations. So reach out, let them know that you're here, but don't necessarily expect a huge reply back or a lot of response back, but just knowing that you have a community that's there for you, that in itself is a mm-hmm. huge help. And so I think you, that's a really great point to bring up because you can help people who are going through their own post NICU journey or postpartum anxiety, postpartum depression, postpartum mood disorder journey, or maybe even both together. Right. And right. you might not know how to help them, but sometimes just being there is really the best thing that you can do, just letting them know that you, that you are there and just being there. Yeah. Being present for them, I think is, goes a lot further than what a lot of people imagine. Definitely. Just knowing they're there. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, Jenna, this was such a treat. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much for spending time with me this afternoon. Of course. I loved it. Thanks for having me. Of course. Of course. Anytime. I look forward to chatting with you soon. Thank you. Thank you. You're welcome. Bye. Bye.